Sometimes just these these spark off, uh, you know, when we're this various concepts and that, and suddenly we start. They influence the mind, how we perceive experience, so that we, you know, we the power of suggestion. We're easily, uh, you know, we people suggest things, and we they can influence how we. We experience life. So, I mean, we all, they would say, you're, you, the problem with you is that you're an angry person. Then we suddenly start feeling, you know, I'm an angry person. And we start perceiving through that. We start, you know, using that perception as an identity. And we, we have all these various attitudes and and cultural attitudes, personal perceptions, and that 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 we uh, really uh, believe in, and and these perceptions then uh, influence experience. So, in when we're developing the path of liberation, it's to get behind this, get to the pure consciousness of being in the present. Uh, where the perceptions then uh, the way these habits that we have can be seen can be recognized and not just be the the, the things that uh, determine our experience so one of the biggest uh, Perceptions that we all tend to believe in is that I am uh, this, these five khandhas, I am this person. Uh, each, uh, we see ourselves through, through these perceptions, our identity, our personality, our, well, you know, what, our, the gender, male or female, or uh, white or black, or young or old, or Buddhist or Christian, or whatever whether we're European or Asian, African, these these are these are uh, perceptions that we can uh, believe in and let let them influence our experience. So, what with mindfulness, we're getting to the pure state of consciousness before uh, the, the natural state of consciousness. That isn't personal. It's not not something that is, uh, has a, a nationality. There's no no color to it. Not red or black or anything like that. So to realize this, this is a way of. I mean, it's here and now. So it's not something that you don't have yet. It's just something we don't recognize because we're so involved with the with the scenarios with the habits with the opinions and views that we hold about ourselves believing committed to our 
prejudices or our uh, views. So, just in the like this, this the way of liberation is just so immediate. Just to, to pay attention, to be a listener, to to rather than be a listener, be the listening itself. Even if you you think you have got to listen, then that's another thing you add to the present. Uh, learning to relax and trust in just being present and being the listening rather than a listener or a meditator or a Buddhist monk or Buddhist nun or anything like that. Sounds easy enough. It's simple, but it's not easy, is it? Because, because we 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 understand the words and we grasp the idea. Well, we don't trust ourselves very much. We don't trust. It sounds. It it doesn't. It sounds. It 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 something in us doesn't feel comfortable with that because we want to have something to do, have something, some goal to to reach. We want to have uh, some technique. Uh, we want to be told. So that, that um, you know, people would love to, many people like to be told exactly what's right and what's wrong, what to think, what to do next. And uh, because it, we don't trust ourselves. You think, I'm... If, you know, I trust you, Ajahn Sumedho, you're, you're a monk all these years, and you know, you know, you obviously uh, had a lot of experience, so you must know what's good for me. So you, 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 some people would love to have me tell them. What do I do next? What's next? And uh, that is, but that we can see, isn't it? Just that doubt, that, that, uh, uncertainty, even our lack of trust, our incredible doubts or, or self-doubting is something, is, an ob- is something that we can observe. We listen to it, we pay attention to even the feelings of, of aversion or inadequacy or whatever it might be. We're not picking and choosing, we're not selecting, we're just willing to embrace and Notice the way it is. So even the, even the word practice can mean that we've, there's always a sense that we've got to practice. We've got to get our samadhi. We've got to uh, clean up our act. We've got to be more diligent. Uh, Be more committed. Commitment is the big word, and and on and on like this, so that we, uh, you know, we can see these as uh, we believe in these uh, these kind of ideas that we might hold. But what we can know right now is that whatever we're feeling, thinking, whether it's an emotion or a thought, a memory, it is this way. It's like this. And so you can always trust in bringing attention just to the, the physical body as it is in the present. You know, not, not in terms of my body as, you know, my body as something I must make into something or, you know, make it into, get its energies going and develop its channels and chakras and on and on. And then, we get, then we get caught up with identity as being somebody that has a body that You've got to make do something, make it into some ideal that we might have. But what I'm suggesting, not not even even seeing that is another another condition we create, another identity that we might believe in firmly, and to trust in the awareness of that, of whatever we believe or or any. They, any position that we take 
is to be recognized, is to be observed, to be listened to, paid attention, to understand it. So this word understanding is, is quite significant in the Buddhist uh, terminologies. That the first noble truth is suffering and a suffering should be understood. The understanding is not is not an anal analytical knowing about. It's not like it doesn't come from understanding myself as a personality or my problems and all this, but it's understanding the way it is. The, so this this uh, the way it is. Uh, the f so for example, when we pay attention to the body, we bring attention to it as experience now rather than trying to make the body into something, trying to create it into something or make it do something, it's being aware of it as, as experience now. It's feeling, it's, it's uh, pleasure or pain or neutral feeling. We're going to notice what's, what do we feel here and, or in the solar plexus or in the abdomen, or, and to notice just the, the feelings of, of anxiety or worry or, or fear or just vague feelings of discomfort or doubting, uncertainty, or just even more vibrant, obvious ones of anger and heat and hatred and indignation, greed. So as we open to this, we listen, not, but we, we pay attention to this, to the way it is. It's not, a, it's not a trying to find out why I feel this way. It's, it's just this is the way it feels. This is like this. So we can sustain our attention on the actual experience of this present moment. Staying with it, letting it be the way it is. And then you, you notice as you allow things to be what they are without uh, comment, without judgment, without criticism, you're aware of their changingness. You begin to, you're, then every, suddenly this whole thing, this formation is teaching you. It, it, it's, you're learning from it, from the feeling, from the way it is. But if you already have preconceived ideas about it and about yourself and about meditation and about Buddhism and about all these things, then you're operating from, from something, from ideas alone. And that doesn't work. You can't get very far with that because it, it's just, uh, you know, it, it, uh, you're starting from one thought, can't know another thought. That you know, one idea can't really uh, solve, ideas can't solve problems, can't, un can't uh, observe the way things are. It's in this state of awakened awareness which is a natural state that we don't create. We don't create it. It's not something that we, we make happen through controlling, through doing techniques of meditation or controlling conditions, but through awakening in the present, through paying attention, through, be, through listening, being fully here, receptive, aware to experience now, whatever that experience is for you that you're having now. Using this word embrace or to, to um, is uh, the word that I've used quite a bit in the past few years as a to, to remind me to open rather than to control. Mm -hmm. Say my, my character tendency is a controlling one. 
So it, it's trying to, you know, get rid of this and get hold of something or make something happen and get something, get a state, get samadhi, get, uh, get rid of these defilements so that the, the, say the character tendency is a controlling one, you know, busy doing something. And it's selective. It doesn't want this, but wants something else. So it, that is, uh, that's a, 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 my character. So then there's embracing is, an, is, is beginning to, is a way of reminding myself not to do that, to just trust in paying attention now. Listening to the body, being fully with, accepting the body as you, as, uh, as it is now in its sensations. The hot or cold or whether you feel comfortable or uncomfortable or pleasure, pain, the posture, the breath. It's interesting just noticing how when, when one is, uh, say, alone, uh, or when, one, when, when you're with somebody, just learning to, to recognize how things affect us, not saying, you know, I can't meditate when other people are around because their vibrations affect me. And then, then if we believe that, then we, we tend to, that's how, then when other people are around us, we tend to think, I can't meditate because those people are here. And so we've created a, a something that we are grasping, and, and then, of course, that's how we're going to experience it. We're going to believe that. But if we uh, observe that, like in some, some people teach about how you have to have a, cer a certain vibration or control of the atmosphere, or people get very attached to, si uh, to, uh, to the tranquility, you know, to have a completely silent, quiet place where there's no disruption, uh, you know, to have everything just under complete control. I heard, I heard that one monk in Thailand used to, when the, you know, he was in a place where the, where the uh, uh, water buffaloes had bells on them, and uh, they, he got so averse to these bells, he went out and took the little clappers out of each bell. That could be considered a breaking of the precept, isn't it? Stealing the clappers from the bells of water buffaloes. <coughs> so this is, you know, the desire to control and, and to, because, you know, like if you can control everything, have it your way, then you know that in then that moment where there's nothing nothing going on that particularly uh, disturbs you or upsets you then you you are going to feel quite tranquil you know if you're if you're in a state of mind then oftentimes you know, you've taken the clappers out of the belt and 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 banned all the clocks and and you know put yourself in a completely uh, in a soundproof room with perfect temperature, then something in your mind will come up. <laughs> so you think, oh, no, no, it's perfect. Now I'm going to really get my samadhi. And then suddenly, uh, oh, oh. <laughs> I wonder what the karma is for having killed, uh, poured salt on slugs when I was five years old. In, 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 in Seattle, we used to 
used to be a lot of slugs, these garden slugs, and I used to go out and pour salt on them. And then they kind of melt, they kind of curl out, and I'd watch them, you know. I wonder what the calm of that is. <laughs> no, I'm sitting in a perfect controlled environment, but, the, but then mem guilt about things I've done in the past. Uh, that Gwendolyn, what are you to me obsession. That drove me crazy once in Thailand. Uh, I was getting in a state of perfect, uh, just the mind was getting calm. This was my first year as a Samanera. Then this stupid thought came in mind. It said, Gwendolyn, what are you to me? And I wonder what that means, you know. So I started, Gwendolyn, don't know anybody. What are you to me? This sounds silly, you know. So I was trying to get rid of this thought. But the more I tried to get rid of it, it started following me around everywhere. And every time I sat down, the first thing that would come to my mind is, Gwendolyn, what are you to me? <laughs> now I did remember when I was in primary school, there was a little girl called Gwendolyn. Maybe there was some kind of, but I didn't really have much to do with her, as I remember. <laughs> 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 so then, now, I walk Joan Grom, I got into one, and then it, the same thing happened, I'd start thinking about this, and go back, and pretty soon I became obsessed, just every time, you know, the only way I could get out was falling asleep. And then when I wake up, the first thing would come. <laughs> so, the, the resistance, you know, wanting wanting to get rid of it because I didn't want to think that thought. I didn't, didn't, it wasn't interesting even, and it didn't make sense. And I, you know, trying to analyze it, couldn't get any much out of it. You know, making a case about it, some kind of significant message, or some 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 suppressed thing that I hadn't come to terms with in my life yet. And then, after a while, I just began to see that this was the resistance, you know. When I started embracing the thought, Gwendolyn, what are you to me? It, it drifted away. But as long as I was trying to get rid of it, I became obsessed with it. You know, so just pushing, fighting, made it, made it so I couldn't even get away from it. Where well, once I embraced it, drops into the void of silence. And that can be, doesn't depend on, uh, on having a perfectly silent environment. It's the nature of the mind itself, of, the, of consciousness, is stillness, silence. Just n noticing the, these, like the, the, um, like metta pavana, loving kindness, isn't it? It's a it, metta is an attitude of embracing everything. And the metta is non-discriminative. You don't. It's uh, it's unconditioned loving kindness. So it, it's not more for the ones you like and less for the ones you don't like. You know, it includes everything. This metta is, it has a sense of embracing everything. Gwendolyn, what are you to me? Metta. <laughs> Where, Gwendolyn, what are you to me? Oh God, that thought, how can I get rid of it? <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't, you know, just, that's not that becomes uh, just an endless obsession in mis with misery. I know, like the uh, metta practice, is, is using that, I found, is a way of embracing things. Because it, you know, when we do this kind of formal metta practice, it, it includes everything. Isn't it? The, the, the prince of death, the the mother and father, 
the upataya, the everything, everybody, good and bad. So that's, that you can see that is an embracing practice. So when we really develop metta, you know, it's, a, it's an attitude where we're not trying to get rid of anything or, or it's not judgmental, isn't it? We're not, you know, making any uh, value or moral judgment about anybody, like the Prince of Death. We're not saying the Prince of Death is a, you know, not a very nice person. <laughs> he should go before the Human Rights Tribunal. <laughs> you're, you're including every Prince of Death or or the the tyrant, the the saint, because its 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 aim is to embrace. Do not resist. Like when we resist or we pass judgment, then we 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 get caught up with with the, with the division in our minds. So we're saying it shouldn't be like this. He should have said this. He shouldn't have said that. He should have done that. This, but he shouldn't have done that. Life should be like this, and it shouldn't be like that. I should be like this, and I shouldn't be like that. And on and on like that, we get we're dividing about what, how things should be and shouldn't be. Well, what is that is in terms of experience now, when you're caught up with, with that kind of thinking? Isn't it? You just, one becomes just uh, quite indignant by the fact that so many, there's so many things going on that shouldn't be. Or, you know, I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be having feelings. Uh, or I should be, uh, I got a letter the other day from a monk in America, he's recently ordained and he's having a lot of trouble with anger. He said, before I was a monk I used to be such a nice loving person. <laughs> so somebody, Ajahn Amro, told him to write a letter to me. <laughs> because I, that, that happened to me. I used to be really kind of sweet and nice natured and that before I was a monk. And and when I became a summoner, I, I I was just nothing but angry for the first three months. I, said, I shouldn't be angry. I should a monk should be full of loving kindness. And everybody everybody I thought of I hated. I couldn't think of anybody that I could have kindness for. I want. I knew all the people that had treated me wrong should be punished. I was aware of the faults my parents made, that they should have been less this way and more that way. And uh, every, my background and, and my experiences in the military and my marriage and everything else, I was full of just this anger and resentment and bitterness and criticism. And myself, you know, just full of self-aversion. Then you read the books about a bhikkhu, and there was a samanera then, so I could have a little more room for being less perfect. <laughs> but still, I wanted the idea of a full of loving kindness, compassion, bodhisattva, bodhicitta, um, unselfish, um, these were the ideals. So what do you do? <laughs> Sit there and struggle with yourself, you know, alone for about a, for about a year, uh, struggling with, uh, the, you know, this, trying to get rid of it, trying to, to make myself into this saintly person that I wanted to be. But I couldn't do it that way. So then it was embracing all this anger. So like loving kindness. Then it was metta practice. So metta wasn't, was, was actually developing metta, even towards the condition, the nasty conditions of, of my mind. 
because metta is non-discriminative. So metta has uh, is this has this embracing quality, accepts whatever, good, bad, clean or dirty, right or wrong, acceptable, unacceptable, true and false. So then <coughs> when I began to re- realize the value or the re- good result of metta or embracing, then, you know, then I began to notice once I, when I really could do that, when I really trusted in that, allowed that to be, then these, these uh, problems naturally ceased according, because the, all conditions are impermanent. And in their cessation is peace. So, uh, th- everything takes you to emptiness, to peacefulness, to purity. So, in in this way of talking, we can say our true nature is purity. You know, when we really, uh, you know, what we really are, in terms of ultimate reality, is deathless and pure still, silent, and that's, that never, we never separated from that, we never, it's never something we don't have, we, we forget, we, or we don't know about it, we've forgotten about it, so we get also involved with all the, the things going on, trying to get rid of this, or get something, get something, you know, we think we should have, and trying to get rid of what we have. So the, then the embracing is, is just embracing that, even your struggle, even your resistance. So to, to do that, to really practice metta then is, isn't just saying, may all beings be well, and, and thinking nice thought. But it's, it's really embracing even the, 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 the anger, the resentment, the fear, the, the hatred, the selfishness, whatever. Letting it be the way it is. They're like loving kindness, letting something be the way it is. It's not, it's, it's, it's allowing, it's allowing life to flow then and we're not we're not trying to impose. I'm not trying to impose my will onto it. I don't want this. I don't want you. I want, I want only this and not that. Then I'm imposing my will onto my life. And that, of course, leads to fear and struggle and resentment, increasing amount of it. So this is something that you can all practice. You know, it's, it's not something that you, that anyone can't do. Uh, you know, it's not, not, uh, not like uh, asking you to do something that is beyond your ability. So the Dhamma teachings are, are pointing at that and, and encouragement. You know, like Dhamma isn't intimidating. It isn't. It isn't uh, a kind of judgment about you and telling you how you sh- what you should do, but it's encouraging, leading onward, dhamma, this kind of sense of leading onward, encouragement, come and see, here and now, rather than telling you, you shouldn't be like this, you shouldn't be like that, you should be, f- you should love everybody. And I saw you talking badly to somebody the other day, and you shouldn't do that. And you should be kind to everybody. <laughs> I'm not being very kind when I'm telling you that. <laughs> and you should keep the precepts. And you should... You shouldn't disrobe. <laughs> and you should... Uh, Listen to me. 
uh, giving, you, giving you the, you know, telling you where it's at and how, what you should do. But what does that do? You know, when, when somebody comes at us in that way, what, you know, for me, that, that uh, it just may, it, it intimidates me. I feel resistance. I feel looked down on. I feel I'm being preached at, that I'm being, that I'm not being respected. When I just, you know, go and tell you how, how you should be and what's wrong with you, isn't it? It's, it's something uh, that's not, you know, it tends to, to uh, if, if you tend to believe me, then it, it oftentimes reaffirms your worst fears about yourself. And if you don't believe me, then you just feel, oh, I don't have more to do with Buddhism and that Ajahn Samedo pain in the neck. If that's what meditation does to you and Buddhism is like, I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> I remember this monk when I, that uh, took me to see Ajahn Chah years ago, and when I was in Nongkai, there's this monk, uh, Thai monk that came on Tudong, and he was, he was one of these preachy types. And he could speak English, so, so, so he, you know, I hadn't been able to speak to anybody for a year because nobody could speak English where I was living. So this this monk comes, so my, and he, he's uh, about the same age, and uh, I was about thirty, thirty-one years old at the time, and he'd been in the Thai Navy during the Korean War, and I'd been in the American Navy, and a lot in common. Very strict monk, kept the vinaya, wore these these uh, dun-colored robes. I was very impressed, you know, to see such an impeccable monk. And so, at first, you know, and having somebody to talk to, you know, if you haven't spoken for for a year, you know what happens is you you, you could kind of go overboard, you know, you went. <laughs> Like a, a a dam that bursts, like diarrhea of the mouth, <laughs> just everything comes out, and, and uh, so I mean we just I just talked he and I just talked for hours and hours, and we went over to Yangtian uh, in Laos to a ceremony, and and uh, he was a he was a I was a samanera. And so he, he took upon his, uh, he, you know, he's going to train me properly. So he was telling me how I should be and shouldn't be. And, and uh, always having, pretty soon I was getting fed up with this. I remember <laughs> getting, getting uh, to the point after a couple of weeks of this, to the point where I was rebelling. You know, whatever he'd ask me not to do, I'd do it. It was a very immature way of... <laughs> <laughs> Very mature, brought up that, that kind of childishness in me, but it, it wasn't leading onward. And after a while, when he, uh, remember, he, he said, you should go and see Ajahn Chah. After a while, I think, that's the last monk I ever want to go and see. So when I, when I ordained as a bhikkhu in Nongkai, then the night that we were, the day before we were to leave to go to Wat Pong and see Ajahn Chah, I was getting so fed up with this monk, I thought, I don't want to go. I mean, I think, if Ajahn Chah is like that, I don't want to. I don't want anything to do with it. Had enough. I'd rather stay here this morning, go to Vientiane, to the meditation monastery over there. So I went to my Upachaya and uh, told him this. and I said, I don't want to go. And but my Upachaya convinced me to go. He said, well, I think you should go and just see. And if you don't like it, you can come back here. So I thought, fair enough. So Somai took me to Lumpacha. And, uh, well, I was very happy when I... <laughs> yeah. Because Lumpacha wasn't like that. But also, even in the shoulds and the and the kind of tensions that you have in monasteries, where where we can get very preachy and bossy and things like this, even that we began to be able to recognize, to embrace. 
with metta. There's even our immature reactions, our rebelliousness, and our our um, um, stubbornness. Because all these things, when they rise in consciousness, you're, you're, you know, you're seeing them in terms of, of letting them be what they are. So I'm feeling childish and stubborn, and if you ask me to do anything, I'm not going to do it. And I don't think you, I don't, you can't boss me around. I'm not going to stand. That's the kind of thing. Then that's the way it is, isn't it? It's, it's listening. It's embracing and metta, loving kindness for all this. And it, and and as you do that, then it, it, uh, you see it, it's cessation. And in a cessation, you you're realizing the true nature, your true nature of purity. Because it, when you when you have that, re- when you recognize emptiness, the purity of pure, the purity of being, then it's it's. Uh, then you know, you know directly, this is the path, this is the, this is the eightfold path, this is the way it is. Ultimately, this is, this is peace, this is, this, this is the kind of peace that can't be uh, destroyed by uh, the bells on the water buffaloes. By Gwendolyn, what are you to me? By, uh, by a bossy and and uh, arrogant bhikkhu, or by anything else. (laughs) (coughs) So in this moment now, say, what is there? There's the body, the breath, sound of silence. How does silence have a sound? It's an oxymoron. But as you as you begin as you pay attention, then you begin to hear this kind of this still point or this it's a kind of vi- vibratory. You can, it's maybe, to me, it's, it's like a sound. But in this silence, there's light, there's peace, and it's conscious, fully conscious, and it's the way it is. So we, we know, we recognize, you know, these words like recognize and realize. It's not something you get, you know, it's not a created state that you've, you get through controlling things or making things go go in a certain way. It's it's through embracing this moment, trusting, opening, recognizing, realizing. And so, so what I can what I can do to try to help you is to encourage you in this way. Not saying you have to do this, or that that uh, you know that. Or to tell you that you, you you can't do it, or to suggest that there's something, you know, even difficult about it, but to to keep encouraging and to supporting your efforts, your your uh, your faith in this kind of practice. So no matter what you what kind of person you are, or how many, you know, if, if, I, if I keep saying, oh, you're not good enough for this kind of practice, or you've got to do something before, then this, this tends to create, a, uh, this tends to go along with this sense of a self again, reinforce the sense of that I'm somebody that it has a lot of imperfections and have to, before I'm good enough, I have to get rid of them, and on this, that's create, that reinforces this, this delusion. So notice in uh, in Buddha Dhamma, it's, it's it's always it's here and now. The Santidiko, Akaliko, Ehipatiko, Opanaiko, Bajjadhangwe, Tidapo, and you. 
apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading onward to be experienced individually by the wise. That is, this is the basis. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't a secret message or for the initiates, for the special people, isn't it? This is for the, for the, for the really good ones. This, this, this teaching is available for who's ever interested. So in beginning to, to just start from where we are, even if you think you're the most awful person in the world, and maybe you are, maybe... <laughs> but to be, aware, to be aware of that is just a view, isn't it? So that which is aware, isn't it? I'm the most horrible person in the whole world. That's a thought, isn't it? That's a feeling or thought that enters consciousness. That's you begin to see it in terms of and and accept it, not believe it. You know, accepting isn't believing; it's knowing. It's it's like this. And then, then the power of that to delude you is is you've disem. It. Because you're seeing it for what it really is rather than when you empower it, then you're either resisting it, trying to get rid of it or deny it, or you're believing it. So it's as simple as that, from starting with, with the way it is right now, whatever going on, you know, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter, it's, uh, you know, in terms of, of the condition itself. So this is the full moon night, sitting up till five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> what is it, 3.30? <laughs> huh? Yes? <laughs> and uh, this is uh, the Katina on, uh, at Chitterst is on Sunday. And uh, this is now the contingency, so we're all kind of getting wound up out of this Vasa mood into this Katina, Katina time. And uh, people are planning their journeys and their next things on <laughs> like this, but, but uh, for this evening, anyway, I, I encourage the, the the more you you practice with it, the more you you keep using it, then it it becomes very clear. You know, it's a very clear direction. So it's not, you know, it it becomes like something you really know, something that's true, and you know, it's a real knowing based on wisdom rather than than knowing about something from ideas you've gotten from books or somebody else. So then it gives you confidence. You know, it's, you're getting outside that. When you just uh, believe in things that other people tell you, then you don't really know. They could be wrong and it might be otherwise. And you know, so you're just going around in, with with you know, I hope the teacher's right, and uh, and uh, on and on like this. But you, you still, as long as your faith depends in believing what others tell you, then or the the scriptures, even the scriptures, we can interpret all. I mean, it's amazing how many different interpretations there are to the Pali scriptures. You get some when you get into Bariati Dhamma, you get some really. Uh, lively arguments going about all kinds of things. Used to be Paticca Samupada a few years ago. He couldn't mention this, the word without. <laughs> I used to teach it, remember? And I gave up when all this controversy around it came up. Just the word itself. Paticca, oh, better not. Somebody's got strong views about that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, the, it's uh, we get you know who's right and who's wrong and who's you know you know how can we know you know in, ter in terms of of that kind of knowing about Paticca Samuppada. So even the Pali Canon can be interpreted in so many different ways because that's the way the conditioned realm is. It's imperfect and, it, and, and how we interpret it is, is influenced by how we perceive our habits, our, the way we, we the, the habit tendencies that we've acquired. So we're getting to the pure state of where wisdom arises through recognition, through realizing the true nature of things, the, the way it is. So I encourage this uh, practice and uh, I'll stop now.